Just a quick note before we jump into this episode. This summer, Dan and I will be taking a break. We'll spend time with our families and attend workshops and conferences to continue growing as leadership educators. Our plan is to release four episodes this summer, but we'll see what happens in the world. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we invite you to check out some more you might have missed during the year or revisit some of your favorites. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. We are thrilled today to talk to our special guest, Chelsea Weiner, for our special summer series episode of the podcast. First off, Chelsea, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. So we're just as excited. So we got your email a little while back about coming on the show. You've said that you are an avid listener and you shared your idea of discussing leadership assessments and tools and your experience using them both inside and outside of the classroom. And Dan and I love that idea. Um, we, we put in at the end of our episodes, like if you have ideas, let us know. So it was nice to, to get a response from you um, and sharing this u- unique idea. Um, and so, and, and it's funny because Dan and I, before we get on, we have like 15 20 minutes of conversation. And we always talk about like, you know, our kids, our partners work. And so it's interesting that today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of how leadership ends up coming over into your personal experiences. Um, Before we get into this topic, um, we would love to just hear a little bit about you and your path to your current role as a leadership educator in San Diego. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again so much for having me. I'm so excited to share my information with everyone. Uh, But as you mentioned, I'm here in sunny San Diego, uh, and I've been working in the collegiate environment for eight years now. So I've been a leadership advisor, uh, and that allows me to plan our leadership conferences, our leadership retreats. I'm in charge of our leadership certificate program, help to teach in the leadership minor. So leadership is all-encompassing, really, of of who I am and my identity, as you mentioned, both inside and outside of, of student affairs of the classroom. I am a Myers-Briggs certified practitioner and a Clifton Strengths coach. So those are two assessments that I really love and have seen made a strong impact on students. And, you know, the, the average student, the typical 18 to 22 year old thinks it's really cool to listen to the Myers-Briggs presentation, but maybe doesn't find as much value as some people that pay hundreds or thousands of dollars to do this outside of the higher education setting. And so how I was able to take this knowledge and information outside of student affairs was uh, I got engaged during COVID. Uh, So I'm a COVID bride um, to be uh, married in July. So really excited about that. But I realized that knowing myself and knowing my personality and having that strong self-awareness and being able to, of course, give the assessment to my partner and made him take it as well and saw how this is a tool that can really help us 
communicate better and can help us with the planning of a big stressful event like a wedding and beyond. So that's how I was able to figure out how to use the, the, the leadership education and the higher ed experience both inside and outside the classroom. I love that. It's so interesting that you're able to to integrate and, and notice that it's not just the relationships between students and thinking about leadership as a, and an influence relationship between whether it's leaders and followers or collaborators or, or what have you, but I love how the tools, you know, Myers-Briggs I've used, I'm also a strengths certified coach and how we're able to use those tools in order to, uh, I guess it's like a platform or a springboard for conversations about like anything under the sun. And that's one of the, the things I love too about getting students into into groups and using it in, in that aspect. When I would bring in me, me and a colleague who now is the associate registrar, but she was an academic advisor at the time um, at my institution, we uh, led the charge of making our campus a strengths-based campus. The, the, our grant recently uh, sunsetted. And so that's, it's sadly, unfortunately, starting to kind of wither away just because we're not able to sustain the funding. But at its peak, you know, we'd go into a chemistry class or a, you know, or a course way out of our expertise or disciplines. And they'd say, I need help with my, with my student groups. We, I don't know why they never, they can never get into groups well, you know, and so, and I think we've shared this on the podcast, you know, a while ago, it's, you know, you have to do more than just count off people by fours and say, good luck. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, Hey, let, why don't, why don't everybody take the the strengths finder. And then we'll just talk about the, your, you know, your results in small groups and like, well, what do you bring and what might you bring? And just having those conversations is so much better than, so who wants to do what? So, so I love that. What, what made you, I mean, I've, so I've, I've shared a couple of things that just kind of jumped into my mind, but what were some of the things that really kind of prompted you to use some of these leadership tools outside of your programming at San Diego state? I think, first of all, I wanted to comment on on the group work that you mentioned. Okay, sure. I remember when I was back in college as an undergrad student, I was a TA for our exploring leadership class where we had the book and, you know, guided us through those chapters. And True Colors, I'm sure you might be familiar mm-hmm. with the True Colors assessment, which is a very fun, low-level, low-risk assessment, not very valid or reliable, but since it's free, we use it a lot of times in the collegiate environment. Uh, my professor gave everyone the True Colors assessment and then created intentional groups based on the True Colors. Uh, and the students were all like, yes, you know, I'm going to be with the people that are similar to me. All the golds will be together. All the blues will be together. And of course, the professor tried as hard as she could to have one of each color in the group uh, and then seeing actually how those groups ended up being the strongest. So so seeing the diversity of personalities, the diversity of thought, avoiding that group think was something that was really strong. And and the students struggled and had conflict at first, but were able to work through it. And and as you mentioned, use their strengths in those ways. Uh, So so I loved your story because that was one of the first ways that I saw, you know, way back when I was a, a TA, how I saw the power of making these groups and being really intentional with that. So I love that, Dan. But to answer your question of how did I uh, really have this bleed into outside of higher education, uh, a lot of it was just my own personal experience. So I have a coaching company, which I won't talk too much about or we can chat about later. But with that, I, I use this a lot as a group dynamics tool for couples and for nonprofits, higher education experiences and small businesses. So figuring out how I can use this with onboarding tools or like you mentioned Companies and organizations are becoming, you know, quote unquote, strengths based right now where they're using these tools as really onboarding experiences and 
figuring out the passion that I have for it. And there are tools I really believe in and I'm so passionate about figuring out how they can help. Uh, that's how I was able to see how I can use it out of in that out of classroom experience as well. It's so fun to, to hear how you've been able to use that both with your students and kind of with, with some of these other organizations. And it really is interesting to see, you know, it kind of started in industry and then higher ed really like caught on. And then now you're kind of seeing the second wave because I remember when, I don't know when you'd got your, your strengths coach certification, I think mine was 2016 or 2017. Oh, it was one of those. Too. Oh, me was too. it really? Okay. Yeah. So we got sent to Boston for a week. Uh, we weren't in the same class where we, there's no way, right? We weren't in the same. I, mine was in San Diego. Okay. I was going to say like, we would have, I would have remembered that. So yeah. And I know that they're, they're in like, you know, big, and so it was, it was a little bit of a, a, a trek for us to get down to Boston, but we took, I think five or six professionals, faculty and professional staff um, down there with some of the funding that we had. Great course um, for sure. Um, I mean, definitely we learned a ton that we were able to to apply. And just, I just remember that, that just being such a, such a game changer with how we were able to utilize it with, with the folks on, on campus. And, and also when I started working with some of these other organizations, I guess what I was getting at was the, I think at the time, maybe they said like, Oh, 15 million or 16 million people worldwide had completed the strengths assessment. And now it's like twice or tripled that or something crazy. It's just really, really taken off. And some of these things and these things take time. And I know that one of the things that they asked us to do early on was like, hey, you know, let your spouse take it and see what those results might look like, you know, and, and that might prompt a, a conversation. And, and so we did. And it was really, it really was interesting to see how that kind of came out. And some of the things like my wife has responsibility as I think are either number one or number two. I'm like, yeah, no, no shocker there. Like loyalty is the number one thing, like with my, with, um, that my wife uh, values for sure. And, and so that was, that was no, no surprise. So some of the things that my, you know, that my wife brings to the table, definitely seeing, you know, res- how that responsibility comes out in our relationship and her relationships, our relationship with, with the kids and with her friends and, and things of that nature. Um, and certainly there's some integration with the theme to the Golden Girls and things of that nature that she shares with her friends and with, and with our daughters. Um, and so definitely see that coming out. And I've seen it come out uh, when we were, when we were engaged, um, some of the leadership training that I had had as an undergrad at Florida State, both um, in student government and running political campaigns in our student government. Um, and I was social chair for my fraternity, I want to say for at least two years, maybe three years. And when we started to plan our wedding, I learned that I think I was probably the only groom to be that took an active role in planning <laughs> the wedding. Um, I was super, like I went to one of the bridal, what do they call them? Bridal fairs or wedding, oh, help the, me out. Yeah, the bazaars or whatever. The bazaars yeah. with all the tables. And, and I'm like, oh, that looks like a fun place to do the party. That, you know, we ended up uh, settling on on the place that we did. We did a, it ended up being a beachfront wedding at a place called the Sandbar in Anna Maria Island, Florida. Um, and they had a big outdoor tent and this whole thing. But I went out and found the band and like all, you know, just so much, so much of it was like, give me a budget. I can plan a party. Um, but so much of that I learned because of the leadership experiences that I had as an undergrad and how that my wife and I were able to work together and kind of balance our strengths um, in what aspects of the planning process that she would take on, which was like the desserts and some of the ways to make it memorable and kind of personable with our family and with her her good friends and some of our 
you know, female members of our family and some of those types of things. I feel like if you've ever planned anything in student activities, like you can plan anything for your family. Like my grandmother, she was turning 90 and they wanted to do a casino theme. And my aunt was like, well, we'll have, you know, the kids volunteer to do these things. And I'm like, no, if you call the party company, it's two fifty per table for four hours. They bring the chips. You just, you know, and it's all those little things that you don't realize you learn as a, as a student activities coordinator that, that, spill over into life. Um, I also, just to jump in real quick as we're talking about spouses. So also as a certified uh, strengths-based, certified strengths coach, um, I want my husband to take it. He hasn't taken it yet. And I'm like, oh, I, I think you might be these things. And, and I can't wait for him to do it because I want to like debrief all that I, I've seen with him. I also think too that um, when we're when we're taking these assessments, even though we take them in the workplace, I don't think we think about how that transfers over to our home life. I like to think I'm I'm a little so I'm an ENTJ. I like to think I'm a little less ENTJ-ish in the house, especially when it comes to vacations, than I am at the work because I, I very much can focus on that at work. But but like you were saying, you know, like understanding how you are and naturally perform when you're doing stuff is so super helpful. And it's almost second nature when you get to your house to, you may not, you know, I don't tell my husband I'm an ENTJ, so X. Um, I usually will say, well, honey, I prefer this because of this. And I explain it in those layman's terms. I also share that when I'm doing the training, because those are the people that see you um, in those spaces where you're not really thinking about how you act and you perform. And so sharing it with like your sister, your mom, your partner, they'll say, oh yeah, well, when you did, you know, our birthday party, of course you were all over it. And, and they have those stories that you sometimes don't think about because it's so natural for you. And I love, like my students are surprised. I put on my SFFs, like, did you talk about this? Did you talk about any of the class topics with your family? Simply because um, one, they're going to help them with their self-awareness and how they show up. But then two, they'll give them those examples that they, they can't see. So just wanted to jump into that part of the conversation as well. Um, Chelsea, you talked a little bit about how you used it with your partner. Have you used it outside of work with other couples? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So part of my coaching, I work with couples. A lot of times it's premarital. So it's couples who are engaged and they want to figure out how they can improve their own wedding planning process and beyond. Of course, planning a wedding is two people coming together who, you know, hopefully communicate well and have a really strong foundation, but maybe haven't planned such an expensive, big opinionated event as a wedding before. And it's one of the first big decisions you're probably going to make out of many, like buying a house, figuring out children, figuring out finances. So I work with couples uh, and I'm able to coach them through based on the Myers-Briggs to make sure to set them up for success. So I say, I take you from good to great. So you have to have that good foundation already. I'm not, you know, here to solve your premarital issues. I'm not a marriage family therapist in any way. So I'm able to take you from a good to great couple. So I've met with them. I'll give them each the assessment individually, and then we'll get their results and we'll talk with them about obviously what does the Myers-Briggs mean? So I'll go through, this is an extrovert versus an introvert, sensing versus intuition. I'll go through the entire assessment with them and then say, you know, maybe one's an E and one's an I. So I'll say, these are some of the pros of having two different types. These are some of the potential conflict areas, or if they're both sensing, I'll talk about, again, the, the potential pros and cons 
of having their specific combination together. Uh, and so I found it really helpful and really successful, again, both for, for my own, but a lot of times other couples have found it really helpful too. I know you mentioned um, traveling and how you're like, well, maybe when I'm going on vacation, you know, I'm less of work Lauren than I am vacation mode Lauren. And uh, and seeing that reminded me of a funny, a funny story of a couple that I was able to coach through that, where one was a J and one was a P. So on the Myers-Briggs, J's judging is very organized, orderly, and P likes to be spontaneous and go with the flow and, and you know, figure out what's happening uh, as it's happening. Uh, and so the person who was a J wanted the whole entire vacation plan, flights booked, restaurants, you know, reservations created. And the P was like, let's get there and we'll ask all the locals where we should go. And they had conflict about that beforehand, but then figuring out, no, this is the personality that I have. You know, I can't fit into the mold of who you wanted me to be. It was really eye-opening for them. Uh, so seeing some of those light bulbs go off of, okay, let's, let's find that compromise area. You know, we're not going to maybe have every single thing planned out. Maybe we can ask the locals what some of the restaurants are, but we still need to make sure you have your flights, your hotels, some of those things that are a little bit more important to plan. So helping the couples through that has been really fun. It's so funny that you that you bring up that that specific example, Chelsea, because one of the ways that we, uh, that me and my my colleague that used to do these um, these strengths training. So it's it's funny that you're making the the differentiation between the J and the P. Uh, we used to talk about so so Jen had adaptability in her, gosh, it might've been her, it's definitely was in her top two or three. And I, as a trainer, we got access to our 34 mm -hmm. list and adaptability is my number 34. Um, and I was not surprised every assessment I've ever taken things like flexibility and adaptability are like way in the back for me. And so we would, I would always tell this story. So my sister and I are opposites in some ways too. My sister and her, and her husband, now they've been married, gosh, I want to say three or four years. So they went honeymooning in, uh, they were, I think they flew into Barcelona and then they were going to um, kind of go out. It was a cruise in the Mediterranean, if I'm, if I'm remembering this right. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, I was just, I was just in Barcelona for a conference. You know, here are some things that you should do. There's the, there's the cathedral and then there's this restaurant and there's, you know, there's just like certain sites, the artwork, the, the architecture, you know, and I sent her a, a Rick Steves tour book for Barcelona because I am such a, a J and such a, I use my, probably my focus strength and my strategic. Those are in my top five of, give me like a place that I, probably goes to why I excelled at planning part of the wedding. I want to plan. I want to book things. I want to have everything like scheduled. So like the way my sister describes it a week or two after she landed or after they got back, I'm like, so how was the trip? You know, I was like, did you go to any of the places? She's like, well, um, I couldn't find the tour book you sent me. So, you know, we got off the plane and we were like, huh, I wonder why everybody's going in that direction. And we saw this really huge, beautiful cathedral. I'm like, I'm like, you mean the one that I told you about, you know? And she's like, and then we ventured over to, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm just, I can't like, she's like describing like a living hell for me. It's just, it's just so funny. The differences between how different people approach things, but getting to know that that it's not because she doesn't care about the things that I shared or like some of the advice. It's just her approach to, life and, and whatnot is just polar opposite with respect to planning vacations and things like that. But I think having those conversations and being able to laugh about it um, and use it as, as an example, I think is, is just, it just brought me back to that because we use that as an example so often uh, when we're trying to 
explain how these individual differences come out and that it's just how people live in the world. You know, as my, my uh, colleague would say, it's as natural as the bridge of their nose. Like that's just how they, that's how they live in the world. And that's, that's how a lot of conflict comes up when we don't have that knowledge or foundation of the other person. So yeah, you might've been like, wow, she really didn't care about the suggestions I gave. I'm never giving her suggestions again. And, and you could have been mad or bitter or thought she was you know, silly for not knowing what that structure was when you had already told her about it. But since you have obviously such a robust vocabulary about these types of things, you're able to realize like, oh, that's just her. You know, she figured it out eventually. She saw those things eventually. It just took her a different pathway to get there. So that's that's my main takeaway with couples is this is just a way to avoid conflict. I don't want you to try to change your partner in any sort of way. I just want you to be more understanding of where they're coming from. And it's a huge way to prevent conflict with partners, with coworkers in any sort of way. It reminds me of the uh, principle, the four agreements. It's not personal and it, it's not about you and, and how you're behaving. It's that person's natural train of thought or natural behavior that they're um, enacting or performing. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier to let go. I think it's so incredibly interesting that you talked about travel. So I am, like I said, ENTJ. I think my husband has to be an ENFP. Um, he's always super positive. But also with the vacations, I step back and I don't, because I do so much, I used to do so much planning in my regular job. I didn't want to plan when I came home. And so because he's so like intuitive and supportive and positive, he's like, I want everybody to have a good time. So if you tell me what you'd like, where, and where you want to go, I can make that happen. And so I then can trust him that whenever I say like, it's time for vacation and we start talking about where to go. I can give him, I can step back and just say, tell me if you want money for me and what time I need to be ready to go and kind of if there's anything I need to do. And I can like give him that power and control because I know that that's how he's going to operate. Normally though, I'm very hands-on and, you know, in the, in the decision-making part of it, but I can say easily here. Um, my sister is an INTJ. And so when I went to go visit her in California earlier this month, I said, okay, these are the three things I'd like to see. And she planned like four days of stuff and interspersed through there were the things that I said I'd like to see. And so again, I could like lean back and trust that in this experience, they, they were based on kind of their types. I, I knew what I was getting into and that it was a little bit easier and I think it just goes back to like leadership. Like it's, it's, can you trust the person to, you know, take care of you or lead you towards a shared goal, um, whether it's a vacation or a wedding or a conference, you know, or a class, you know, that end goal doesn't matter as much. And I think these tools help us understand that. Um, so I, I should, now I say all that, I feel like I should encourage my husband to be a travel agent. What do y'all think? <laughs> like, let's utilize those strengths because he's yeah. done like awesome vacations. Yeah. And he, you know, it's funny when we didn't figure this out, it's not one of the things you think about when you're first getting married. Like there, there should be a list of questions somewhere and it says who wants to plan the vacations. But once I figured it out and, and we talked about it, uh, yeah, just where are we supposed to go? Let me just, the only thing I, I request is like no mid-August to mid-September trips just because it's the start of the semester. But yeah, he's, you know, I just kind of toss out these random things like sticky notes uh, during a brainstorming activity and he, you know, kind of makes it happen. I think I'd be curious, how much do you bring in some of the work that you've done with couples and some of these other groups outside of 
your practice as a student affairs professional at San Diego State. How have you shared some of these experiences with your students, brought it into some of the workshops and sessions and other types of trainings and things? Like how do your students react to some of those stories? And, and perhaps are they bringing that in, into or suggesting that as a practice in their own relationships, whether they be romantic or otherwise? That's a really great question. And I think my biggest takeaway is I try to give them as much advice to prepare them for life after college, right? So of course, a lot of them have relationships. A lot of them have jobs. So I'm not undermining. I don't like to say once they enter the real world, I really empower them that they are in the real world, of course, and they're having these really important experiences. But one of my main takeaways from doing it outside of the collegiate environment and how to bring it back in is I also do this work with uh, businesses. So I work with teams within a company and help them figure out their group dynamics from within. And that information is really valuable, again, for the average student who maybe has had some internship experiences or is looking to enter the job field, isn't necessarily fully on a team or fully in that professional experience yet. And, and help them see how they can fit and best market themselves into different companies. So for example, when I do this with teams, I love to do it with teams of five to 10 who work really closely together so that they know the people on their team. Of course, especially virtually, I've presented these types of workshops and keynote speeches to hundreds of people, um, but then it becomes a little bit more broad. And uh, when I work with these small teams, it becomes very personalized and specific. And helping them figure out how they can add the most value to a team in the future is going to be really helpful for my students. So, for example, I was working with a marketing team uh, as part of a company, and they were saying the brainstorming was, was not working as they wanted. So I was talking with the director of the team, the director of marketing, and she was explaining how her team doesn't you know, take advantage of those brainstorming opportunities and sessions as much as she wanted. I then talked with her and gave her team the Myers-Briggs assessment. And we realized there were a lot of introverts on the team with a few extroverts and brainstorming sessions really, really favor extroverts. So when you give someone a prompt, they jump right in, they're able to share, verbalize their uh, feelings, their thoughts. They verbalize out loud. So they like to walk through or talk through the process as they're thinking about it. Whereas introverts really like to have some time to reflect and have that quiet time and really process and think about the prompt from different angles. And so the, the director I was working with was like, these you know few people really contribute a lot. And then the other people just stare at me. And so once we found out that there was an imbalance of the introverts versus extroverts, I helped her see, well, let's come up with a new process. We can still do some group brainstorming, but maybe that shouldn't be the first thing that you expect from your team. Let's try to give them the prompt beforehand, even if it's five minutes beforehand, of course, longer than that would be great, but then giving the team some quiet time to think about it, maybe break them into some smaller groups to pair together in a less intimidating environment, and then we can share out more. So I learned that that's what really might work in the more corporate or business world, and then see how I can share that information with my students. And some of them say, oh, well, as an introvert, that's really helpful for me. Maybe I'll be empowered to ask my future supervisor for the reflective prompts beforehand. So seeing how I'm able to make that connection for them before they they might fail in that environment or be really intimidated in their first professional job experience has been really helpful for them. 
I love that. It's applying think, pair, share. And it's, it's such a, like a simple concept, but it's once you create that awareness around it, it's so easy for folks to say, oh, like, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, so we've asked you a lot of things. Is there anything else that maybe we didn't ask that you would feel important to offer? If you want to say that I don't ever want anyone to feel stuck in a box, right? Which is kind of ironic because for the Myers-Briggs, they literally show you this, the grid with the 16 different types and you're literally, your type is in a box. But I just want to say that a lot of times when I work with couples, they're like, oh, is that person a good match for me? Or, you know, do opposites attract? Or should I be with someone similar to me? And my biggest takeaway that I want to share with people is knowing yourself, I think is the most important. And I know that that sounds cliche, but I don't mean it in a cliche way. I mean that when you know yourself and you know the, the person that you're going to be working with, again, whether it's in a romantic environment, in a professional environment, that's how we can avoid some of that conflict. And I think once we approach it from a place of respect and a place of, of understanding, we're able to improve our relationships so much. So yes, any, any type, of course, there's certain ones that maybe naturally don't get along as well, but you can work with anyone uh, if you need to. And as long as we have that place of respect coming through, I think that anyone can be a good match. Yeah, it's it's how do you actually show up versus how you think you show up. And I think that these assessments are just really good about, you know, getting you to think about um, based on your responses, this is what you think, believe. However, you know, are your actions in line? Like when we do assessments in my class, my first question is always, is it true? And then that's when I send them off again to talk to somebody else, because we all come in at very different levels of awareness and we can think we are one way and maybe showing up in a completely different way. Um, and and it's, it's really just our our job, I feel like as leadership educators is to help increase that awareness and as much as we can start encouraging more alignment. Like I tell my students, there's no like right or wrong way other than evil leadership. Um, but I, I, I say like, it's really about, are you really just aligned with what you value and what's important and what you want? Um, and, and are you in alignment with the folks around you? Um, if someone wanted to talk to you a little bit more, get some coaching, can you share a little bit of information where they can reach out and, and start building that relationship? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I would love to do this with couples. I also do it with different teams, uh, present it to students as part of classes, keynote speakers, whatever you're looking for. Uh, so my website is chelseacoachesu.com. And that's really where you can find me on every platform. So on Instagram, it's Chelsea Coaches You. And my email is chelseacoachesu at gmail.com. So that would be the best place uh, to be able to find me. And I, as a coach in both of those areas, I can give you the assessments and can help you analyze them in any way that would be helpful and beneficial for you. I love that. That's so fun, Chelsea. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. And, and there's just so many applications for for these self-assessments and, and the way you use them with, with groups and teams and with couples. And, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us today. So that wraps up this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Again, thank you for joining us today. Hope you have a fantastic wedding and the rest of your summer. Thank you.
We would love for you to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dr. That's D-R underscore leadership. And uh, Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Mrs. Laura J-B. And you can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. And we also encourage you to subscribe and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd also like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in New Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he's currently an associate professor of trumpet, coordinator of jazz and commercial music, and director of ensembles at Coastal Carolina University. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thanks so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, thank you to the Association of Leadership Educators. Check out what ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you'll listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcast. 